Well, welcome. Welcome to church this morning. It's so great to uh, have you here. And a special welcome to our visitors and first-time guests. Fantastic to uh, have you with us. I want to get started by asking you a couple of questions. So I need you to participate a little bit. You know, hands up, that kind of stuff. We're talking about um, moving from drifting to being focused. And to uh, help us understand a little bit about how important this is, I want to ask, who has infants and children uh, living with them at home in their house? Put your hand up if that applies to you. Okay, a whole bunch of people, fantastic. Okay, thank you. Who has teenagers living at home with you? Okay, or maybe um, 20-somethings living at home with you. Yes, there's a few of those too. So, who, who's living at home with teenagers and 20-somethings, notices that they bring their mobile phones to the table and text during meals. Put your hands up. Uh, yes, there's a few of those. Now, also, um, put your hands up if you take your mobile phone to the table and text. Ah, yes, there's a few of those as well. Okay. Did you know that the American fast food company, Chick-fil-A, has just introduced a new um, promotion and on each table in their restaurants they have a little cardboard box and they call it the chicken coop and what they do is they encourage families who come to their restaurant to put their mobile phones or the whole family in the little cardboard box and if the mobile phones stay in the cardboard box throughout the meal everybody gets a free ice cream okay pretty cool they're a Christian company by the way so you might like to enjoy Chick-fil-A uh, if they ever come to Australia. We live in a fast-paced digital communication age, don't we? And perhaps many of us are drifting or maybe even just completely distracted by what's going on. You know, distraction can lead to a lot of missed opportunities and a lot of regrets. And that's what Chick-fil-A are trying to address in their little way in their restaurants. There's a thing um, that's being studied right now around the world. It's called the knowledge doubling curve. Has anybody ever heard of it? The knowledge doubling curve. And what this is doing is trying to attempt to measure the rate at which knowledge is increasing in the world. Did you know that the whole of human knowledge in its entirety is expected to double this year. Double this year. The curve was going along like this, gradually climbing over the last 100 years, and then in the last 15 to 20 years, it started to go up very steeply, and now it's going up so steeply that the expectation is that very soon, the total of world knowledge will be doubling every 12 hours. Every 12 hours. It's incredible, isn't it? In the face of this, things are changing very rapidly in society. In January 2015, which is the last stats that I could get hold of, Australia had a population of about 23.5 um, million people. Of that population, 19 million individuals owned a mobile phone. Of those 19 million individuals with mobile phones, there were 31 million active 
mobile phone accounts in Australia in January 2015. So that tells me there must be an incredible number of babies who own mobile phones, or a lot of adults with a mobile phone stuck to each ear and an iPad sitting in their lap. Just over um, a couple of months ago, in December um, 2015, globally, social media was expected to reach one-third of the world's population. One-third of the world's population. We've just passed that now. In the face of this technological change, lots of things are happening. In the area in which I work most of my week, which is uh, in clinical medicine, the rate of change of knowledge, the doubling uh, rate, is happening at every 18 months at the moment. Clinical knowledge is doubling every 18 months. I want to show you a picture up on the screen, and this is uh, an illustration of some technology that's uh, uh, happening in operating theatres um, around the world. And this is a special technology called laminar flow technology, and the idea behind it is that uh, germs can carry, uh, be carried by um, air movement, and so they create these operating theatres where the air movement flows in such a way that only filtered air can pass over the area on the patient that's being operated on. Now, to make this work, the surgeons have to wear spacesuits because, of course, if they breathe out, those germs might get in the wound, so the spacesuits allow their breathing out air to be sucked away, filtered, and then uh, re-entered back into the theatre, and that protects the... Um, the, the uh, patient from uh, getting contamination in their wounds. Now, um, on a particular operation that I heard of, a nurse was assisting the surgeon to see what was going on and was adjusting the theatre light. And as the surgeon was bending over the work and getting on with the job, the, the, the nurse was adjusting this theatre light up behind and over the shoulder of the surgeon, got it just perfect so that you could see everything that was going on. But what the nurse misunderstood was that the surgeon was extremely tall. And when the surgeon stood up from bending over, he banged his head severely on the edge of the operating light. Now, fortunately, he didn't knock himself out. But what did happen is that his false eye fell out. <laughs> and it sat in the operating spacesuit mask, and as he worked, it rolled from one side of the mask <laughs> and back to the other side of the mask as the operation proceeded. Now, a few minutes or so further on into the operation, the surgeon noticed that he was the only person concentrating on the operation. Everybody else was looking at his eyeball rolling across inside the mask. So he stopped proceedings and he said, I can still see, let's get on with it. He wasn't allowing this to distract him, and he didn't want it to distract everybody else in the room. So let me ask you this question. In the face of the technology and communication explosion that's happening, can you still see, can you still see through the maze of images that are coming at you? Can you still hear through the clamour of voices that are coming at you? Can you still see, can you still think in the fog of ideas that are coming at you. How do you remain focused despite the distractions of the knowledge and communication explosion? Well, 
The business of remaining focused has been around and been a challenge for a long time. In fact, the Bible speaks about this quite a lot. What we're going to do is very quickly run through some verses. They're not going to be up on the screen. I'm just going to tell you about them. They're in your version um, if you are following along with that and taking notes. And I'm just going to quickly read them. But as I read them, I want you to focus on the fact that they are directing people to pay attention to the things that really matter in the face of potential distraction. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Matthew 6.33 But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 Pray continually. Philippians 3, 13 to 14. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Luke 10, 41 to 43. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. See, the point of each of these verses is to move toward focused attention on the things that really matter, to put aside distraction. That's the point of these verses. Now, it isn't lost on psychologists around the world that we're struggling the human race is struggling with distraction at the moment. There's a massive problem in this. And it's coming to attention because it's affecting us in multiple ways. In government, at work, at home, in relationships and in families. My personal view, I'm working in the clinic every week, is that this issue of distraction and lack of focus is a significant contributing aspect to the dramatic increase of young people that I'm seeing who are suffering from anxiety-related disorders. The great irony in this message that I'm presenting you to this morning is that I didn't look at a single book in preparing it. It was all done using social media and uh, the internet. There's no going back. Digital communication is with us. We need to learn to manage it or it will manage us. I'm going to give you some clear, simple take-home tools right now that are going to help you today. After that, I'm going to help you discover a crucial spiritual tool that we've already been learning about that will assist you to sustain your focus throughout your life. Four things from psychology and neurology that can help you right now. These things are based on studies on how our brain works and how to improve efficiency in decision-making. And the four of them are these things. First of all, eliminate distractions. Number one, eliminate distractions. So this means, in our age, turn off unneeded devices when you're going to focus on a task. No browsing, no checking Twitter feed, no checking news feeds, no Facebook. 
No background TV, radio or other screens. Turn the things off so that you can focus. Second point, stop multitasking. This is going to annoy a few people, isn't it? Stop multitasking. This is what the neurologists and the experts are saying. Focus on one thing at a time. Third point, break your day into productive focused segments. Think about how you're going to use your day and break it into productive focused segments. And fourth point, work on one thing for 60 to 90 minutes, take a short 10 to 15 minute break between segments and use the rest breaks to relax, move, stretch and check your social media. These four things will help you make better decisions, they'll reduce brain fatigue, they'll improve your productivity and your success. Interestingly, there are similar principles outlined in the Old Testament before the digital age, clearly at a much, much slower pace than the knowledge doubling curve we're facing today. But if you study the Old Testament, you'll see that God gave guidelines about periods of work and periods of rest. He didn't say work all the time. And this is a particularly important message. We don't have time to dig into the Old Testament side of things today, but maybe at some point in the future. I've often found that the things that psychologists discover, discover God's talked about a long time before. So you might be thinking to yourself, well, that's all very well, Andrew, but I just don't have the kind of job that can ignore multitasking. The reality is that multitasking is what I do. I have to do it. I can't just focus on one thing. So I thought, well, let's test this. I'm going to um, ask around and get a bit of extra advice in a field that I'm not um, all that familiar with and uh, find out if the most multitask centric job in the world could be made more effective by using these kind of principles. So what do you think that might be? Maybe it's a neurosurgeon or something like that. No, the most multitask centric job in the world and the most common one is being the parent of a young child. <laughs> so I wanted to find out could parents of young children actually apply these principles and what would be the outcome? And the interesting um, news from the research is that in fact they can and in fact it's great for parents, it's great for grandparents and it's really good for kids. So there's information about that that's actually been posted right now um, on the Facebook um, page uh, for parents Parenting with Hope, and also, if you're a great-grandparent, there's a paper copy for you up the front here <laughs> after the service. But I want you to make, uh, take note of the fact that we're still in our 60 to 90-minute focused work window. You only get to check social media after we've finished in the 15-minute break, okay? I want to talk about this idea of a life verse. The idea of focusing attention on one verse and how this helps to clarify a person's uh, living and simplify a person's living. Let's take a look at the passage of scripture uh, in Luke chapter 8 and this um, will be up on the screen. 
This is Jesus speaking, and uh, I'm just going to read the passage, and uh, it goes like this, from verse 16, a lamp on a stand. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, will be taken away from them. This passage of scripture um, is very interesting. If you look at the first verse, you'll see that this is pretty straightforward. What's happening in this section, which is talking about the function of light, that it has a purpose and it's a nonsense to put light away where it can't fulfil its purpose. It needs to be put up on a stand where it can create light so that people can see, to remove darkness, in other words. That's its purpose. The second verse is um, very interesting because it's, it helps you to start to realise that the first verse, um, verse 16, about the light, is actually talking about Jesus and about the spiritual light that he brings into the world. He's talking about himself in this um, passage. In the second part, it explains that light reveals things that are hidden. And that the spiritual light of Christ actually, when it comes into contact with people, reveals things that are hidden in their lives, spiritual things. Often things that are hidden there in the darkness that people don't want to be exposed to the light of Christ. You see, the word of Christ is very powerful. And it brings light into dark places. The final part of this little story is what I want to focus on. And you'll see here that some very interesting words are used. Consider carefully how you listen. Consider carefully how you listen. This is Jesus talking about understanding. If you understand something, it automatically alters its importance to you, either up or down. You can use it to help you. It will change the way you behave and the way you think, and it will help you align with God's thinking. That's the power of the Bible. This section emphasises the need for Christians to make the message of Jesus plain so that others may see the light, so that Christians, therefore, need to pay attention to how they themselves are hearing or listening to the message and applying it to their lives, in effect, so that they can become light to others. The interesting bit about this last verse is that there's a warning here. And the warning is that failure to listen well will actually not leave you in neutral, spiritually. In fact, it will result in you losing spiritual understanding that you thought you had. In contrast, listening well by implication, applying what you learn and changing the way you live 
will result in increased spiritual understanding over time. So the spiritual life is never static. You're either either growing spiritually or you're shrinking spiritually. As Jesus explains here, there's no neutral. So let me ask you, how are you going on the hope pathway? Are you growing or are you shrinking? What I want to talk about is how you can apply a life first to help you to constantly grow in your spiritual journey. About 40 years ago, I adopted a life first. It was given to me by one of my mentors um, at a time when I needed counsel and help and advice. And um, I want to let you know that it's made a huge difference in my life. It's allowed me to focus on the big things that God wants me to do. It has kept me growing spiritually over many years. And it's been an anchor for me in the Bible and become an anchor for me in my life. The idea of a life verse isn't described in the Bible, but it is very, very consistent with the ideas we've already shared about um, focused attention on scripture and really being careful how you listen to what God is saying through the Bible. It helps you when you have a life verse to clarify your mission and to clarify God's calling on your life. You may remember the last time um, I got a chance to speak, I talked about John the Baptist having a personal mission given to him from God. And um, in that particular um, message, we talked about our own personal missions. What having a life verse does is help to clarify that sense of calling, your personal mission on your life. Mine is this passage of scripture, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In this verse, I discovered that I had a new identity through faith in Jesus, that Christ lived in me. What an incredible idea that I had the Holy Spirit inside me actually living out the life that Jesus has for me in my body. A whole new life that is actually God's life for me. In fact, I'm entirely at his disposal every time I adopt and act on this verse. I get to go, do and say what he wants. This verse has become my personal mission statement. It clarifies and simplifies my life. Why? Because of the outrageous idea that he loved me. What an incredible thing that he could love me and pay with his own life through being crucified that I might be rescued, that I was that important to him. How could I not completely devote myself to serving him as a consequence of understanding that? I think you can see that this has been a guiding principle 
um, for me and will continue to guide me through my life. And you know, it's helped me in many, many practical ways. You know, um, there are many times in life when um, I get fearful and would basically chicken out on doing what God's calling me to do. Except I remember that Jesus is alive in me through the power of the Holy Spirit, that I have the capacity to live a new life, not a life of fear, because of Jesus living in me. And it's no longer me that's living. It's Jesus. And so I've been able to step up when the challenges come. When there's been dark times, I've been able to remember that Jesus is with me, that he loves me and got me through. When it's time to celebrate, I've been able to celebrate um, with the fullness of heart, knowing that it's Jesus that's alive in me. So in many occasions, on many occasions, it stopped me acting purely on the basis of my fears or my emotions or even on my own good ideas but helped me focus on doing what God wants me to do and being completely available to him to go, do and say what he asked me to do. So in conclusion, it's unrealistic for people to memorise the whole counsel of God laid out in the Bible. It's incredibly important that we keep reading our Bibles and study and and uh, apply, and as, as we learned earlier in, in the message in this passage about the story of the lamp on the stand, we have to consider carefully how we listen to God's word. It's important because the consequences are, are either continued spiritual growth or decline. Prayerfully choose a life verse if you haven't already. I really encourage you, make it an anchor for you in the scriptures and an anchor for you in your life. Be careful how you listen to God's word and how you apply it and keep growing. Never fall for the fallacy that you've arrived as a Christian. We're all a work in progress till we eventually end up in heaven with him. Right now we're gonna have a few minutes to reflect quietly on some potential life verses that are gonna be scrolled up on the screen. Or maybe if you have a life verse already, you could reflect on that and be praying and, and uh, thinking about how that life verse is affecting you and how it will affect you in the future as you trust God and uh, seek to apply it in your life. Pray that God would lead you to adopt and use a life verse to maintain your focus over the course of your life or through the next season of your life at least. If you'd like to share a life verse with us that you already have, you can post it and the information on how to do that is up on the screen right now. So let's pray as we wrap up and we're going to spend a quiet period now of reflection for a few moments. Father, as uh, we think about your scriptures, the Bible, and how important they are for guiding us and directing us and how much you encourage us to bring focused attention to your word. Lord, would you help us now in this period of reflection? Those of us who don't have a life verse, Lord, would you prompt us? Would you encourage us? And would you direct us by your spirit? Those of us who do, Father, would you help us to be reviewing how we're applying that life verse in our lives on a day-by-day basis? Thank you for your word, Father. Thank you that it is powerful and effective and will accomplish the things that you send it to do. 
and we're grateful for the presence of your Holy Spirit in us and with us now. We thank you in Jesus' name.